the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom. It's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And I am joined in studio once again by our wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. Nice to see you again on this Saturday. How are you, Rebecca? Good to see you, too. We're getting closer and closer to that wonderful time of year. It is. It's rapidly coming. I know. (laughs) Um, Well, as tensions surrounding the contested presidential election results continue to grip the nation, there are also many questions surrounding what K-12 education will look like in Minnesota and across the nation. That's right. As Minnesota counties report an increase in the number of positive COVID tests, will school districts across the entire state completely abandon in-person learning? If the Electoral College should certify Joe Biden as the 46th president, how would the potential LGBTQ Federal Equality Act affect K-12 through school curriculums and hiring practices at religious private schools? Our guest tonight will help us make some sense of these big issues as we head into 2021. Mm-hmm. Well, here again in studio tonight to help us assess these issues and more is Minnesota State Senator Roger Chamberlain of Lino Lakes. Senator Chamberlain just won a hard-fought re-election campaign in District 38. He has been a guest on Education Nation several times in the past to discuss education legislation in the Minnesota legislature. Senator Chamberlain, thank you once again for joining us here on Education Nation. Always good to be back. Always mm-hmm. good to be back. We love having you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, Christmas songs we're have a little early. Yes, they have. We're a little early. It's not even quite Thanksgiving yet, but... Depends whose house you're but, in, right, Yes. <laughs> I always say when we're approaching that time of year, I think everybody... My son and his wife, with that snow that we just had last week, yes. they put up their Christmas tree already. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a good spirit. A good, happy time. Yep, yep. So I understand. I understand. It felt like Christmas out there, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. Well, let's turn our attention to Minnesota schools. As of this week, Governor Walls said he had no plans, or I should say last week, he had no plans to reclose schools. What is the discussion like concerning any prospects of school shutdowns amongst your colleagues in the legislature? I'd start again with the schools and the parents. It's very hard on them. We've met with some superintendents and Mm -hmm. It is incredibly difficult for educators, as you know. Yes, I do. In the, the private side of education, and they they are doing their best, both the administrative side and the teachers, to manage this. Uh, and the the administrators are getting it from both sides. They're getting it from the parents mm-hmm. more 
They always had it from there and always had it from there. But now it's just increased, as you may know, mm-hmm. exponentially. So it is difficult, very difficult on them. We understand that. Um, but right now the governor has made more adjustments and the departments come down with changes again. And they have it based on uh, number of cases in the county, which is very arbitrary. Very yes. Difficult. Well, and in some counties I understand they're, they're counting prison population that has COVID positive. Is that accurate? I that I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me because yeah. it's in the county, and they don't they may not be, uh, you know, making yeah. that distinction, removing that. Mm-hmm. So it, it is hard, and I know the districts. I, two of the districts I represent, uh, three, you know, um, Hennepin, Hennepin, Anoka, Hennepin, have decided to kind of push back a bit, and, and they're getting weary of this right. in some areas, and. There are schools, uh, 280, uh, 624 at White mm-hmm. Bear Lake and ISD 12 Centennial that, you know, they said, we we haven't got any cases in the school and we have a pro- process to mm-hmm. deal with it. So why should we have to shut down and go to distance when mm-hmm. that, you know, so this one size fits all is very hard on the schools and the parents. Right. Mm-hmm. They can't plan. They can't get good uh, education in this way. So the prospects it's difficult for them, and we are aware of those difficulties. Again, that's why the governor should work with us more closely to manage this process mm-hmm. to ensure that one size does not fit all and we can mm-hmm. deal with this in a better way. And this is this is actually one of the things that surprises me so much um, about how this, this whole pandemic has been handled, is it's so collectivist in the approach, very Chinese communist government. It's as though mm-hmm. they watched what China did with their people because it – originated in Wuhan mm-hmm. or Wuhan and they expected that okay that's what we should all do everywhere it, it, and it's unprecedented we've never seen a western country act like this well, every, and and yeah. and people, now with Biden they want to make it even more top down they want to make it from the federal level people always talk about local control but it's all just con- when it's convenient for them right, right? Yeah. and um this is uh Treating all schools the same, with even within the same county, and applying these things that doesn't fit—it's it's really hard on these schools. And mm-hmm. one size does not fit all. People like options and choices. That's what we're good at in this mm-hmm. country: giving people options and choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the ability to make those things work, but we have to quit um, changing the rules for the schools, for the parents, and start looking at. This more collaboratively again with the governor to solve this in a in a smarter, more effective yeah, way because yeah. it it is incredibly damaging to our kids. And I I cannot overstate that enough. As an educator, I just want our listeners to know that you cannot produce an education online like you do in the classroom. And the ones who are suffering the most are the ones that are in the inner city, the ones that the oh. Democrats purport to want to help the most. And um, I I just find it, I never thought I would see the day in America where children's education would literally be the most or the least important thing that people would consider. Mm-hmm. Um, it has gone to the bottom of the barrel that nobody is thinking about the kids and what's best for the kids. We are going to lose this generation if they cannot, I mean, one year of education for a child. Think of that. If you're six or seven years old, that's one seventh of your life. Yeah. You know, even yeah. if you're 17 years old, yeah. 
um, these these are not small matters, and no. people are treating it like, oh, it's fine. They can be online. They'll just be online for a year or two. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. It's huge. Well, look, I've spoke to a lot of educators, and yes, there are educators who are unhappy with this, and they don't want to be in the classroom. I get it. But most of the educators I've talked to, and even informal surveys and formal surveys and polls show that most educators want to be in the classroom. They know that's yep. important. They know it has to be done. Yeah. And you cannot do it any other way. It's always been the case throughout the history of the world. Technology cannot replace that. Yeah. It cannot. Absolutely. Um, and we're going to have to work on this better with the governor. He has to include us to do this, mm-hmm. to get to get this right. Because, uh, as you said, good point, the mm-hmm. hardest hit are those who can least afford to have yep. this setback. Yep. Right. Exactly. They can't yep. afford it. Yeah. You know, we were uh, talking about how the one size does not uh, fit for all, and nobody would know better than the individual representatives and the senators who represent their districts. They know uh, what's going on in terms of inner workings. And even last week, the Minnesota Department of Health reported only 11 elementary schools in the state had five or more cases of COVID-19. That's just 1% of all elementary schools in the state of Minnesota. And positive tests, uh, yes, they've been up with middle and high school students as well. Um, The rising number of COVID positive tests per 10,000 people across Minnesota counties, um, I think, is really what's at stake here is why you're seeing an increase in number of districts shifting even the youngest of learners to full-time distance learning. But despite the increase in these positive tests, which we knew were going to come as a result of the increase of testing and the arrival of the cold weather, why the transition away from in-person learning when the recovery rate of young children who test positive is higher than 99%. Again, this is we're talking data-driven, and it makes mm-hmm. you really think and know that they're not taking the data into consideration. Mm-hmm. Well, again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say I get it. There are people out there, again, listening that are concerned, and they're still anxious. But mm-hmm. they have to be reassured that all the smart folks out there, the from Stanford, right. Oxford, Harvard again, and many places around the world, they are confident that we're going to be okay. And this is doing this sort of thing is very damaging for for people and for kids. Mm-hmm. These lockdowns and this sort of uh, arbit, this sort of constant shifting in the rules and what the school is supposed to be doing is incredibly hard on the kids and going to cause long-lasting damage. So we have to be smarter about how we address this, and we can address this with data, and people should be confident and assured that the numbers are good, we're going to be fine. Yep. What we won't what won't be good is if we continue this process, continue the harm every week, every month, this happens with our kids and our educators. Very going to have a lasting impact. Yeah. The purported uh, cure being worse than the virus itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, because President Trump is the one who actually first said that, I think that's why nobody (laughs) on the left wants to acknowledge that that could actually be the case. Right. Um, So, you know, we've seen many of those things. Mm -hmm. Like, a vaccine is on the way. No, it's not, says the left. And then six days after the election, suddenly Pfizer comes out with a 90% effective vaccine that is about to launch. So Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a lot of that real hypocrisy, really. Mm -hmm. Well, based on what you've heard from colleagues in the legislature and even from school superintendents, 
How much of a concern are the staffing shortages in school districts as an abundance of teachers are forced to quarantine because of positive COVID tests? Well, again, this is part of the fallout from months and months and months of this is that it's not only if you test, not only if you're sick and have symptoms or you test positive, but even if you were in a room with someone that was known later to have COVID and tested positive, and we can, you can talk for mm-hmm. two hours about the test process, right. you are supposed to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get tested, some of you out there know this, they, they, I've seen the sheet that says even if you get tested and it comes back negative, you still have to quarantine 14 days. Mm-hmm. Yep. Longer than the person who has COVID, by the way. So you they still, only have to do 10 days. Yes, you two <laughs> would know this because you're, <laughs> yes. you're in the system. Mm-hmm. You still have to do that for 14 days. Mm-hmm. So why should you even get a test? Mm-hmm. Why should you even get a test? Because right. wait the 14 days. But what this does is having, a, again, a terrible impact on the psyche of our culture and the individuals. And It breeds fear. It's fear mm-hmm. and is going to break down the system. We cannot have a civil society and a functioning civil society this way. Mm-hmm. You cannot continue to change these rules and have four people continually moving this, this these goalposts and have a functioning, civil, sustainable society. So people say, well, we got to do what we have to do to get over this. We can do that, but this is going to destroy everything. You like your house in the suburbs. You like your, your vacations. You like your job. Keep doing this. It's going to get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. It's going to get worse yeah. Yeah. Um, for a, in a lot of different ways. So um, I, uh, the hospitals, right, we got a report from the hospitals. Over 6,000 of their employees in a certain, I forget if it's statewide or metro, are out because they've either tested positive or they were in a room with someone. Right. Right. right, and you know what? Um, we have we have several emergency room doctors amongst our parents at the school that I run, Liberty Classical Academy, and one of them said, "It's actually the reason why we have shortage of a hus- of hospital rooms now is because of the earlier lockdowns and the fact that they didn't allow the surgeries and such oh. that were not uh, <laughs> yeah. that were." Um, Elective surgery. Catching up. And so what she said is that then because the hospitals lost so much money, they've had to let go of staff. And once you let go of the staff, then, you know, now that you have an uptick in COVID, she said, we've got plenty of rooms in our hospital. And this is a major Mm -hmm. St. Paul hospital. We just don't have the staff to cover it because the hospital can't afford to pay the staff. And the hospital's not going to hire back a bunch of staff not knowing what's going to happen in the future. What's going to happen right. if exactly. they can't have stability? Yeah. That gets back to the point. You cannot have a civil, functioning, stable, sustainable culture and society at this rate because people will have to do what they have to do to survive. Mm-hmm. The hospitals aren't going to hire all these people back thinking that, well, if they go to this again, they'll have to lay them off because yeah. elective surgeries, all that stuff. So it's a ripple effect. This is not... In a vacuum, it's not isolated. These are serious things, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. call me what you want, but this is reality. It's serious, and it's paralyzing our hospitals and healthcare system and our education system and many other vital mm-hmm. parts. Not just buying things, but just functioning and having police show up or, yeah. or uh, you know. Did you hear Minneapolis is now? 
considering giving more money to the police force. I'm sorry, I'm getting way off here, but to to pay for um, more police because they were so degraded um, after the riots that many of them have quit and left. And now the very council that called to defund the police is actually looking at trying to put well, more money the in there. council that hates the police, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, period. I mean, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean uh, to get you off there. <laughs> no, I, so it has, this has long-lasting ripple effects in every aspect of our life and culture. <clears throat> and we either have to learn to deal with it or that's a choice. People can choose we're going to do this or we're going to get back to normal. Choose. But the one way is not very happy, pleasant way in the end. Right. Well, I, I will say, too, when uh, the crowds were gathering on the streets uh, to celebrate Joe Biden, uh, the conversation for COVID and the need for social distancing went away, too. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, yeah, speaking of which, the president media-elect, I call him the media-elect <laughs> Joe Biden, has pledged the passage and full enforcement of the LGBTQ Equality Act in his first 100 days in office. Now, the Equality Act, for those who may not be familiar with it, it would amend federal laws to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in public accommodations and facilities, education, federal funding, employment, and housing. If this piece of legislation, Senator Chamberlain, is signed into law, where does this leave local school districts in terms of freedom when it comes to curriculum design and implementation? Well, I, I think a lot of school districts are already doing this because there is a federal law. But um, as far as freedom, local control that we talked about before, mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We've been trying for years to disentangle the feds from the state, right? even to the point of getting rid of No Child Left Behind and, and doing our own thing and come up with a few hundred million dollars to fill the gap. So we're being disentangled from that. Um, <clears throat> but it takes away their choice and freedom. And I tell parents all the time, do you want – most parents want options and choice. It's been in mm-hmm. survey and polls, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent, depending on the, the, uh, the, the group you're polling. <coughs> Hispanics, 80 percent of Hispanics want more choice and more options. Right. Not surprising. They want to go the other way. Yeah. So this is counter. Look, nobody wants discrimination. Nobody wants harm to anybody. That's fine. Right. But we're talking about uh, this, this is already law, but this heavier enforcement and taking away local options and control, and I think even filtering out to private schools in the end too. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, you know, I'm not taking a personal position on this. It's people's choice, right? My position is irrelevant on, on that, but it's a choice of the parent and the educators and the system and the district of how they want to educate their kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well said. Yeah. Well, let's address the future state of religious liberties here a little bit when it comes to the Equality Act. Um, Biden, in an interview with the Philadelphia Gay News, had said that, uh, quote, we need to root out discrimination in our laws, institutions, and public spaces. And then he said religion should not be used as a license to discriminate. And as president, I will oppose legislation to deny LGBTQ equal treatment in public places. I will immediately reverse discriminatory practices that President Trump put in place and work to advance the rights of LGBTQ people widely, end of quote. Now, just over the summer, if you recall, the U.S. Supreme Court was very busy. They affirmed and strengthened the 2012 ministerial exception, and that protects religious organizations from some lawsuits. Uh, For example, the ruling in Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey-Baru 
indicated that those involved in almost any kind of religious instruction would be considered ministers of the faith, no matter their official title, or even if they practiced the faith themselves. Now, while Justices Sotomayor and the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented, saying the decision gave religious employers free reign to discriminate, it was Justice Samuel Alito who really wrote for the majority, and he really came to bat for educators and education. He Mm -hmm. said, quote, The religious education and formation of students is the very reason for the existence of most private religious schools, and therefore the selection and supervision of the teachers upon whom the schools rely to do their work lie at the core of their mission, end of quote. Now, as someone who has been a fierce and consistent advocate for school choice such as yourself, what problems do you envision and fear for private schools if if such a piece of legislation uh, is federally mandated? Again, you know, um, people in this country have a right to live their lives the way they see fit. Mm-hmm. And as long as you stay in your sandbox and, mm-hmm. and don't come over and try to take my stuff and vice versa, we'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not – honestly do not know uh, where they are not – where a segment of the population is being denied equal access right. to all the things of our culture and society, whether it's treatment under the law or access to facilities, et cetera, et cetera. What this is talking about is association and freedom of a religion. Should an organization or the president come in and say, look, Islam, uh, Muslim school or Hindu school or Christian school yeah. or Jewish school, I don't care what your religion says, you're going to accept this and you're going to take it. Mm-hmm. I say no. Right. right. Yes, this absolutely This is no. not mm-hmm. the way a free, open-minded, empowered society works. It allows people to choose and follow their path. If you're LGBTQ, there are churches and organizations that, that support that fully. But uh, to, to require that a Christian school or an Islamic school or a Hindu school or a Jewish school or anybody of that sort take in and do this stuff is clearly a violation of those rights. It is. So, mm-hmm. again, say what you want about me, but <clears throat> I'm here to protect everybody's rights, LGBTQ and religious and everybody in between. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't enforce your stuff on someone else who has that freedom to do that as long as they're not coming over to your sandbox and trying to take your stuff and tell you how to work and live and what you should buy and mm-hmm. not buy and eat and not eat, right. then we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But start butting your nose other places and trying to make everybody the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's not a free, empowered, diverse society. Right. It's a coerced, oppressive society. And it certainly doesn't reflect what the founders' intentions were no. um, when they talked about freedom of religion. No, no. Right. I mean – you get right. to practice it. You don't get to – if you don't like the rules of the club, leave the club and make your own yeah, club. Yep. <laughs> it's that easy. Lots of opportunities out, out there in this, big bad, in this big, wonderful world. I was going to say this big, bad world. <laughs> it is kind of bad right now, but <laughs> – oh, gee. Well, the shrinking DFL majority in the Minnesota House, um, are, do you think – and as Mark says, this is really a rhetorical question – are we any closer to real, authentic discussion – when it comes to school choice, and is there any chance that the school choice legislation could actually make its way to the governor's desk this coming legislative session? Well, there's always hope, and there's always hope for progress. Uh, we've been at this for years. You have been at it for years. Yep. Uh, like I said earlier, 75 polling is consistent. 75% of African Americans, 80% of Hispanics, and others want 
more options. They want school choice. They want self-determination. They want to empower parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opposition to that, frankly, is the teachers' union. Um, I know teachers, uh, this is not going to ruin the profession. It will improve everything. But are we to ignore? If you want to talk about racial inequity mm-hmm. and systematic uh, uh, racial issues, therein lies the problem. Mm-hmm. We can get to 90% proficiency in literacy in this state if we just knock down some of these barriers and get around the teachers' union. But uh, there's a gentleman I work with, Rashad Turner. He's going after the teachers' union for this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is about we're always making progress, and we need to continue on this because it is empowering and will be the single most powerful reform and will lift thousands and thousands of kids out of poverty and give them opportunities they never had. This will be it. So if you want to address racial inequities, education, literacy, Absolutely. this will do it. That is at the core. I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Senator Chamberlain. That is truly where the true systemic racism exists, is mm-hmm. in our nation's inner city schools. Mm-hmm. So um, in the event that President Trump has proven to be right concerning the charges associated with election fraud and the electoral votes are awarded to him to serve another four years, we can expect his encouragement for patriotic education curriculums in our nation's schools. The federal government doesn't have jurisdiction, however, over school curriculums. So is this something that school choice advocates in the legislature like yourself might get behind so that you can maybe encourage school districts across the state to adopt as a means of combating the infiltration of such things such as the 1619 projects, critical race theory, uh, Black Lives Matter within the classroom? Well, right. I should back up one second. I should say... Uh, there is bipartisan support for both options and choice for for uh, edu- for parents. It's mm-hmm. not broad, but it is there. It does exist. And as far as this goes, yeah, so at the state, this has been something that, again, people from both sides of the aisle have been working on about just sort of improving civics, mm-hmm. civics yes. education. Republicans and Democrats of light have offered legislation to to improve that aspect of it. Equal education for all students, equal opportunities for all students, equal access and local control to the extent that we can, and everybody can benefit from that. Two plus two is still four. Two plus two is not racist. Yep. It's not yep. racist. Do we, we need to pay attention to all that stuff, but teaching and preaching one side or the other over the true goal of education and improving people's knowledge is not the right way to go. So mm-hmm. we have to be aware of all those things, as you as you two know, being in the field. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly the state has worked on that, and we have addressed it in the past. Yeah. Well, we just have uh, about a minute here left. I just want to touch base uh, in conclusion here on what we discussed a little bit briefly at the beginning of our program last week, um, election vote count integrity. Now, election... Officials in Michigan, they have said that during the November 3rd elections, there was a software glitch that caused a 6,000-vote swing that was meant for Republicans but ended up tallied for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And this quote-unquote glitch was reported to have been discovered in 47 counties in Michigan alone, and potentially this software could have been used in up to 30 states. Is there any concern for the integrity of the election count here in Minnesota? Yes, there is. Um, I don't know. I do not think we use a lot of Dominion. I don't think there's a lot of counties using that software, but um, 
Uh, certainly there is, just uh, statistical and other circumstantial uh, evidence, statistical analysis suggests that uh, there is a problem with the vote count here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. know that they've done it in Minneapolis by buying votes and intimidating people, but Hard yes, there is. Okay. Well, on that note, not a, not a very positive note. We really need to tie things up here, but Merry we are, Christmas. again, so glad to have you on. Yes, Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. And, Roger, we'll have you back in, of course, once the legislature goes back in session. And we look forward to being able to talk with you again then. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And Mark, thank you as always. Always a great You're a discussion. Wonderful co-host. Good to be here. Yes, it is. And for um, anybody who wants to listen to this podcast, please go to ednationmn.org. See you next week.